Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hire My VA Team and Business Building Podcast, where we help you to reclaim your freedom through hiring and thriving with virtual assistants without breaking the bank. And that means your bank. And I'm Dave Braun. I'm here with my partner and co-host, friend, mentor, coach, the Larry Broughton. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that, that reminds me of every that you, right? single time. I, right. I, I got to give you that every now and then. This is so fun. For those who are like, what the hell are you guys laughing at? I was on a um, CBS news uh, program and the uh, uh, Dr. Um, Sudeep Bose right? introduced me Sudeep and said, Bose, that's who it was. The Larry Broughton. As yeah. if anybody had any idea who the Larry Broughton was, it was very funny. So thank you, Dave. <laughs> You're it's good to be going through life with you, handsome Dave. I'm glad that we're on the, the same team. Thanks for being my friend. and Yeah, it's, it's an honor. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And you know what was really fun? We just got done with a very special guest that we interviewed for a really fun conversation, Leanne King. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, you folks are going to be stick around in moments. You're going to be seeing that interview. Yeah. Um, Dave, maybe what we ought to do as we intro this is kind of give some uh, a sneak peek at some of the value bombs that uh, our viewers and listeners are going to uh, to be seeing. Because I can yeah. tell you, we went for about an hour. And I lost track of the number. Every couple of minutes, there were some value bombs coming out of the, the, um, the, the conversation. She's got an interesting background. Uh, maybe, why don't we do that first? Why don't you share people, share what the background of uh, Leanne is, Dave, and then we can kind of talk about some of the value bombs that people can expect uh, from yeah. us. Well, um, we got introduced through uh, to Leanne through um, our, our latest Victory Masterclass that we went through. She participated in it along with about... Uh, 30 other folks. Right. And, um, you know, we, we got to know her. She was on these awesome uh, co-working sessions that we have. And it was just always fun and a pleasure. And we thought, man, what she's doing is perfect for um, being on our podcast. So right. she is actually in King. She's a certified senior professional in human resources. Yeah. Um, she is and that she says SPHR, I guess that's what that stands for. Um, also, she's a senior certified professional, um, SHRM-SCP, and has been in the field of HR for more than 30 years. So after a great career in the military, uh, Leanne opened her own HR consulting firm in 2007, and it's called Seeking HR, and you can see that at, uh, uh, the, her website is www.seeking, as in S-E-E-K-I-N-G-H-R.com. And she offers a full suite of human resource services. She's also got a BS in management, human resources, an MA in human resource development, and an MBA. So she's um, got a few gigs uh, uh, there. <laughs> yeah, educated. Yeah, I think she knows a little bit about what she's doing and talking about, yeah. given all of her education, certifications, and her experience. Right. Yeah. So. Let's talk about uh, some of these value bombs or these great things that she said, Larry. I mean, oh, I've got me, before we, before we do that. One of the, <laughs> one of the, one, you do have lots of notes. I know um, you are an awesome note taker. One of the things, though, Dave, that I want to make sure that people get is she's not just a policy wonk. She's not a compliance oh, yeah. dictator, right? Even though she's highly educated, her EQ skills are off the charts, mm, right? Her yeah. emotional quotient, right? right? So this is one of those people who's got a high IQ and a high EQ, I'm imagining. Um, 
So don't think that, oh my gosh, I'm just going to be listening to some prof, some professor, you know, spewing HR policy. That's not what this was about. So yeah, and she, she, she not only finds resources for people, but she helps people grow their teams and build their teams. That's right. You know, as well. Yeah. So she's, yeah. she's done a lot. Yeah. Well, um, let me start then. Let me give you a, one of them. Um, one of the things that she, and you guys have all heard this kind of thing before, but as you listen to her, she says she, she's got so much passion and so much excitement. Um, she just loves what she does and it just doesn't feel like she's working. Um, and so to me, that's like, wow, she has found for her life and her business, something that she's, she just enjoys so much working. Doesn't feel like working. It just is fun to her. And I, I'm like, that's what, one of the things that we all have to, um, you know, try to achieve and see. Fine. Well, it's super clear that she's working in her strengths. Yes. You know, and that's where the joy comes from. You know, not only does she enjoy doing it, but when you do something that um, is in your strengths, like there are things that I enjoy doing that aren't in my strengths. I'm not necessarily good right. at it. Right. But I can't do that. all. I can't do that 24 right. hours a day or eight hours a day. Right. Yeah. But um, it tends to be nirvana when you enjoy things. I mean, think about anything that you're good at. It's easier to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can do it longer. So, yeah, um, yeah, her joy. She just she's like it just a cup of joy i mean it's, she's always got a smile on her face because she loves what she's doing right she's Which a becomes person, attractive yeah she's somebody that you want to get on the phone with or to talk with it's like hey yeah. i was looking so forward to talking with leanne today really yeah. looking forward to because she's got she's got uh, such a and we were talking about this last week in our men's group about you know humbleness right she's got yeah. such um confidence and capability but I mean, she's just such a humble person. Yeah. 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 Good. How about another you? thing that, well, one of the things that came up early on in this is that she is what we tend to call an accidental entrepreneur. Mm. She is not a woman who in the fourth grade said, I'm going to build an HR empire and I'm going to have all these <laughs> yeah. clients. And, you know, and she's dressing in her power suits when she comes to, you know, fifth grade lunch class that, that wasn't her. Um, she spent a bunch of years in the military and um, worked uh, in the field for a while, realized, you know, I'm going to set part ways here um, and I'm going to use this as an opportunity to do my own thing, right? Yeah. Oftentimes we, there's a bit of guilt or shame or um, lack of confidence that accidental entrepreneurs oftentimes have. You and I can think of a handful of clients that we have now, right? Mm-hmm. Who think, well, you know, it's not like what I ever aspired to do. And so I'm not, there's like this, a sense of unworthiness that they're in the entrepreneurial space because they hadn't yeah. grown up wanting to be an entrepreneur. Well, she's yeah. a perfect example of she fell into it and she found what she's great at and loves doing and she's rocking it. You know, even, it's not like it's been sunshine, lollipops and rainbows all the time either, yeah. right? Because yeah. she's having the same challenges that we all do. Yeah. But I'm trying to get rid of this mystique that just because you're an accidental entrepreneur doesn't mean that you're not a real entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You know, you're still yeah, slaying you're the same dragons that I'm slaying. Right. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Totally yeah. agree. Um, one of the things that, that she had said is, and, and this is what we find, especially when she was starting out, you know, you can't, you can't really have freedom in your business. You cre- can't really make the impact um, without having other people help you. You need to build a team, right? That's one of the things we talk about getting freedom right. and making a big impact right. is you got to build a team. 
Well, the very first time though, that she was doing it, it was pretty scary for her. Yeah. I remember she talked about it being scary, but she had a plan. Um, she didn't just go in and hire. She had a plan to be able to afford the folks, but also a plan to be able to, um, you know, figure out who she needed to hire. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, that good. Yeah. And my next one, Dave, that kind of comes to the top of mind is probably because you just reminded me of it is that um, a mistake that a lot of leaders, owners, managers make is that they, uh, disregard the mantra slow to hire and quick to fire yeah, yeah. and instead they just hire people quickly yeah right they got to trying to get a warm body on the team um the problem with that oftentimes is that you know you might hire somebody who does one interview well but really they're not a great great fit for the organization you've not done assessments to find out what their strengths are um you've not asked probing questions um, and so she tells a couple of stories about um, the types of interviews she does. And there's a nice mm -hmm. conversation in there about that on how to um, one particular example, um, you might get information you would never get otherwise. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting that's conversation right. there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Then the next one that I've got is, um, and we were talking a lot about um, the great um, resignation and yeah. One of the key characteristics that these days a uh, manager leader has got to have in their business and um it was related to openness but you use the term response terms be responsive meaning open but be responsive to them but be responsible to them for um following up and she has a great methodology that i had never thought about before about making sure that you do follow up because you don't follow up it's worse than being open <laughs> right yeah yeah so yeah. she had a great methodology and it's like oh my gosh i'm going to start using that myself well listen those are just a few of them dave you might have one or two more but i think that uh, you'll find folks as you listen to this this is one of those where you want to have a either take notes on your phone or have some kind of a voice recording option or a pen and paper handy yeah. um and you might want to listen to this one a couple of times because there's a lot of great uh, great information yeah, totally here. agree. Yeah. All right. With all of that being said, let's get into our interview with Leanne. All right. <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome again to the Hire My VA Team and Business Building Podcast. And today we've got Leanne King. She's president and CEO of Seeking HR. And she describes herself as a lifelong learner and generally crafty person. Leanne, <laughs> welcome to the show. I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to talking with you. Larry, welcome. This is going to be a great, great Hello, discussion we're going to have. Yeah. Leanne, we love you. Thank oh, you. Yeah. I love you guys. This is great. So, <laughs> I should say that we first met Leanne through our um, victory masterclass and into the 12-week victory program. And uh, Leanne, you are a pleasure to have on there every, every week. Absolutely. I loved your participation, your insight, and your wisdom. And I think we were only into the program for a couple of weeks. And what Dave said to me, or I said to Dave, we need to put her on our podcast. Oh my gosh. For sure. So now that that is behind us and a couple months have gone by, we want to make sure and get you on here. So thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. Well, it might be good to start out with, just give us a little bit of background, Leanne. Like, what do you do? Why are you here? Well, <laughs> what makes first, it tick? first and foremost, thank you for inviting me. You know, when, when we were first introduced and doing that class, it's sometimes a little hard to tell 
how you're doing, if it's too much interaction, if it's not too much, whether or not you're right. in the other classmates. And so you're kind of like doing a little bit of a Zoom shuffle. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> it's good to hear, I guess, at, way after the fact that, that I, I made the impression that I hoped I would make. Um, mm-hmm. So a little bit about me. Um, never thought I was going to be a business owner, first and foremost. Uh, wow. But I, I joined the military right out of high school. I really felt like um, discipline, order, structure was really in my wheelhouse. So um, evolution of learning HR and being in that field for a number of years and then transitioning to an entrepreneur 14 years ago, um, I really thoroughly enjoy, love what I do every day. I don't feel like I ever am working because I love mm. I do so much. Um, and it's been great to be able to take my innate desire for structure and order and be able to write process and help people be productive and be successful. And so really taking what you love and working that into a business, that's that's the magic right there. So you do you have an HR agency. Is that, is that kind of a, in a nutshell? HR consulting, Uh, we run three primary lines of business and that's employment services, helping people, connecting people and placements, finding people, jobs, finding employers, people, right? Uh, And then there's an element of employee development, which we focus on compliance training for supervisors and leaders, as well as leadership development and um, HR skill sets. So HR people actually can be trained by an HR consultant. And so we spend yeah. a lot of time really refining and reworking process again. And then our third bucket uh, is HR program management. And that's really the nuts and bolts, the compensation, the job description, the handbooks, the employee relations, the compensation claims, all of that stuff really gets wrapped up into that major bucket. So HR for a little company, um, HR for a big company. We don't do all things for all organizations, um, but we try to meet the organization where they're at and provide that service in a just-in-time basis. That's awesome. And there's so much in there that I want to dive into. But before we do that, just let me ask you a couple of quick questions. Might be interesting for some people, not for others. What did you actually do in the military? What was your job role there? <laughs> oh, it's a great Uh-oh. Uh So I am all of 18 in my infinite wisdom. um, I have an aptitude for electronics and I went in open electronics right out of high school and started out working on F4s in avionics systems. So uh, instrument autopilot was my specialty, um, but uh, I'm dating myself a little bit. When Desert Storm, Desert Shield kicked off, um, I had the very fortunate opportunity to retrain into manpower and logistics planning. And so really figured out um, what was necessary to carry out a mission. So productivity standards, time and motion studies, industrial engineering. Wow. I got into HR. So I had two jobs while I was in <clears throat> one in avionics and one in HR. Yeah. And then so I, so you, we got, could, you got to go ahead. Dave. I'm sorry. I was going to say, ahead. so we could say you're an engineer, right? In the past, I, I, knew, that, I knew that was yes, yes. yes. I, I, I know that's why I loved you so much. It's like, oh my gosh, Leanne, it's just like, yeah, awesome. I am. Um, that's why <laughs> I've had all the engineering training. Um, the enlisted and officers go through the same school for the industrial engineering program for the Air Force, so there's no delineation what I learned versus what anybody else learned. 
And that was, uh, that was just such an amazing opportunity for me to be able to like really understand the numbers and how people work together and connecting the dots. I am, I am not the traditional HR person by any means. I'm not a touchy feely HR kind of person. I am return on investment results oriented. Show me a profit and loss statement. I want to see how it matters in the workplace. So I kind of speak CEO rather than HR. And I, that's, that's probably one of the things that's really helped me in growing the business is I'm not looking to have people um, necessarily tell, tell me all their woes and fears. And there's an element of that in HR, but I really want people to be successful and I want organizations to grow. And so my approach to HR is really from a business results oriented perspective. I love that, you know, cause so many people get stuck in the compliance portion of HR. To me, that's more of a preventative mm -hmm. program, but when you get into the development aspect of HR, it becomes more predictive in that we know that if we develop our team members, we know if we bring on rock stars, if we spend a little bit more time on the front end, the slow to hire, quick to fire kind of thing, mm -hmm. but then develop those team members, we are going to see a higher return. We're going to see lower turnover. We're going to see increased morale, all those awesome things, right? So you'd mentioned right out of the gate that you're kind of what I call an accidental entrepreneur. You said, I didn't think I was going to be an entrepreneur. Tell me about that. How the heck did it happen? Because 14 years later, you're doing well. You're still um, hanging in there with a smile on your face. Yeah. So what the hell is going on? <laughs> um, it hasn't it always been the smile on my face, but uh -huh. um, I... I figured out um, after I separated from the military, um, which by the way, I did 10 years active duty. I was not a, a lifer. Um, yeah, I received six degrees while I was in in 10 years, moved six times in 10 years, and then decided it was just time to put roots somewhere. Um, and so when I left the military, I went into HR in the commercial sector. And what I realized fairly quickly um, that my boat rocker, change agent, um, always improve mentality wasn't highly desired at the, the level of the positions that I was going into. So when you transition out of the military, often you're, you know, you're, you're trying to find your way a little bit and figure out what's going to be that next right opportunity. And so I was willing to accept some lower level positions and found that uh, I was very stifled. And so my accidental entrepreneurship really was a result of honestly getting sideways with a leader and saying, you know what, this isn't, this isn't going to be good for me. This isn't going to be good for you. We should talk about what this is going to look like because yeah. it's not going to end well. And, and I knew that. And I had some time to really process that and internalize and, and be aware that I was making the wrong decisions for me. They may have been selecting the right person to do the job. Technically, I was qualified. But knowing that I always wanted to be in the corner office, that wasn't really the answer. What I really needed was a job where I was allowed freedom to be challenged and make a difference and make a difference in more than just one company and one department and one division. Accidental entrepreneurship. So um, how about this? Tell us about the team. So you launch your business, Leanne. What did the team look like then? And what's your team look like now? And how many years has it been? 14 years, I think you said, from 
launch of your business to today? I'm going to imagine it's a little bit different today than when you first started. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Um, it's kind of nice to walk down uh, memory lane a little bit. Because yeah, of course. We celebrated, we celebrated 14 years last month, so it's it's really still top of mind of the evolution of where we've come. Um, so when I started the company, um, you know, I used a 10 by 10 office at my house for the first probably 12, 13 months, mm-hmm. and um, I was. I had um, a very fortunate experience. My very first client was a company that I no longer work for. I mean, they're still our client. They signed with us on day two and they're still our client. Uh, and that's fantastic to sort of have that retention. But they came to us in year three, I think, and actually said, if I hung a shingle, if I put out an actual sign, got office space, they would give us more business. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting, but also risky, right? You don't have that in writing anywhere. So I went from me at my house and sort of a half a person helping me with some recruiting efforts to, I opened an office and hired three people. Uh, and that was that was a scary, scary time because you don't know where the revenue's coming from. You're really taking it on faith that this client's going to come through, which they did. Um, yeah. They've been absolutely fantastic to us. And so the team over sort of years three through eight, um, those were really big years for us. We we landed several contracts that were considered managed staffing. So we grew very quickly. We've had as many as 21 employees, which I think was a little, on, on my, my perspective, a little bit too much for me to effectively manage because it happened rather quickly. Mm-hmm. And then we've, we've sort of dialed it back. And so we're sitting right now with five employees with the potential to hire probably two to three more before the end of this year. Um, I like I like the growth. I, this is going to sound really strange. I like the growth and outcome of COVID. I, okay. COVID was not a fun experience as a consulting firm, as a small business. We can talk about that separately. But the outgrowth and the very intentional selection of clients and really focusing on the due diligence of who do we want to work for? What do we want to do? Who are the best clients that mesh with us? And how can we actually connect those our clients to leverage their own businesses? So it's like win, 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 more wins, um, really trying to build those relationships. That's been quite fantastic to experience. So one to 21, down to five, probably going to be seven or eight before the end of the year. Okay, good. So going through that experience of being the sole person on the team and you wearing lots of hats to growing to 21 team members with different skill sets, responsibilities, back down to five, in concert with God knows how many clients you've worked with over 14 years, you've probably seen teams that have worked and have been highly effective and those that have not. Have you been able to connect the dots to see what's the difference between those highly effective teams and those that aren't? I think common thread, we call it a red thread. Yeah, so I think highly effective teams really varies based on, and and this is my experience, my my opinion. I think it varies based on the industry. It it, It varies based on the, the technical knowledge and the experience of the individual. So what I see working and building a team for one of our clients is very different than what I see on the other side of this wall. 
And that's, you know, it's not a one size fits all approach in everybody wants stellar players and everybody wants the rock stars, but my rock star isn't going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, isn't going to be your rock star. And trying to figure that out and hone in on that really makes a difference. Um, uh, I will tell you a story. We very recently, um, we were placing an individual, we were searching for an executive assistant for a client. Um, high level, high profile, the client didn't really make the connection with the candidate that we did and didn't quite see the diamond in the rough that we saw. And I said, you know what? They're, they're lost, my game. Um, and so we ended up assessing the individual for one of our needs and found sort of almost again by default, a rock star that just kind of walked through the doors for another opportunity and helped her figure out what she needed to be doing and what she wanted to be doing. And so now she works here. That's awesome. And what kind of assessments do you do to evaluate strengths when you're trying to place a new team member with for a client or for your own organization? Or do you, or is it all just, you're looking at the cognitive, you're looking at the resume, the experience, the background, that kind of thing. Yeah, so in the bigger scope, our interview process is pretty, um, I think it's pretty thorough. Um, a lot of hoops that we make people jump through, and now it's on a podcast, but everybody's going to know. Um, <laughs> we, still, we still make them jump you, through. You can keep anyway. the secret sauce if you want. Telling, telling my secrets. Um, but we, yeah. use, um, we use the resume. We use um, a full application. So those two documents have to line up. We'll, we'll put a person through at least three rounds of interviews. One might be on the phone. One might be a virtual interview. Um, but almost always they're going to come in for at least two in-person interviews to meet with me, meet with the team. Uh, we have a social interview. That's the last step in our process. We take them to eat food. We just want to get to know them and we want to spend time enjoying a meal, which they don't really get to eat because they're answering all the questions. But we do get to have some, some line of sight as to how they might behave out in public. Um, but in terms of assessments, we actually use a, a two different assessments. A, we use a post offer and a post start. So our post offer assessment um, measures cognitive ability, it measures behavior, and it measures interest. So it takes kind of that mind, body, soul of a person and aligns them to say, what are you going to be good at? Where are you going to succeed? And in, in times of crisis, when the back's up against the wall, how are you going to behave? Yeah. We want to know what, what keeps the you... Conative stuff. Pardon me? The conative stuff. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. And then uh, we, we use that as about 30% of the score. We don't, we don't put all our eggs in assessments. We just look at it. It's a baseline. It's, it's a nice to know from a team perspective because we can then align people with... Yeah might they they might work best with or how they're going to work with me and if there's um if there's differences degrees of separation in those assessments we talk about it before before they ever start like address the elephant in the room ever come in the first day because we want to know if we're if i'm going to talk too fast and I, my pace is going to be going like this and your pace is you know methodical one thing at a time we're going to have a disconnect doesn't mean that we can't work together. It just means that we need to identify that up front and be um, very diligent in how we do communicate. And then our 
post um, our, our pre-hire or our actually our start assessment that we use is uh, strengths finders. So everybody there, everybody has strengths finders. It's a requirement within the first three days. It's hung up on the wall. It's published. Everybody knows what everybody else's strengths are. And then assignments that you receive are based on your strengths. So if you were um, somebody that's really high in woo, we want to make sure that you're somewhere in the selling process. You're somewhere in the business development, somewhere in the external communication so that you can really use your strength to influence others. Um, that's yeah. one example. So many great nuggets in there, Leanne. Um, yeah, we're, we're big believers in the Clifton Strengths Finders as well. I think currently that's what it's called. It used to be called mm -hmm. Gallup. Um, but uh, Clifton Strength Finders is what it's currently called. And you can Google that. And we recommend that in all of our, the programs uh, that we do. But the second thing is um, that I want to just kind of highlight for everyone is that I love what you said about if you realize that there's a disconnect or there's a disparity or there's something that's just, there are differences that you're recognizing. That doesn't mean that they're not eligible for hire. But crying out loud, how often do we recognize that in the workplace, but we don't have the courage, the guts, the smarts to just name the elephant in the room and talk about it. But what happens, I think, oftentimes, at least Dave and I recognize this with, with plenty of clients, they just either accept it and let the conflict bubble up or they dismiss it and they, don't, they, they never even pursue the relationship, right? Whereas oftentimes, if you just talk about it, and you can kind of find some common ground on that. So that's the second thing. Third thing is this, that really just struck me. I love the idea of sharing a meal in public together. We do the same thing for senior executives when we're bringing them into the organization. And so Larry, why would you do that? Why would you waste your time and money to take someone out to dinner? Like you said, you see how they react socially. And oftentimes, if you do this right, their guard goes down and you start seeing the real them. I had a, um, a potential candidate that I was very hot on uh, at one point and was ready to make an offer. I remember the restaurant, it was, Dave, you know this restaurant, it was the, the Catch in Anaheim. Uh, I yeah. took this executive there. It's right next to Angel Stadium is why it's called the Catch. Um, and, um, and that guy was so rude to the staff and the wait people. I said, if this is how you're going to treat wait people, how are you going to treat other people? That are on the team. I didn't even bother making making the offer, and I told them mm -hmm. as such, you know. So that's. Uh, and by the way, so Dave will tell you, I'm pretty. I don't lack courage when it comes to bringing things up, um, and I try to do it in a respectful manner. And he couldn't even. He didn't even make the connection. He's. Well, I'm paying them. They're supposed to be serving me. I've got high, I've got uh, high service standards. It's like, yeah, but it's the way you communicate it. Right. So anyway, I love that. And so that's a good one. Obviously you can't folks, you can't do that with every team member. If you're hiring a VA, you're not going to be able to have a meal <laughs> with mm -hmm. them out in public. Right. Dave, and I know I've been monopolizing time, Dave. So hop in here, my friend, oh, you've got questions. <laughs> you had, you had great questions and they were awesome. Say that um, again. I, that, I didn't again? That. that again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dork. <laughs> yeah, and me too. That's why we work well together. So, um, yeah, Leanne, that's 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 pretty awesome. Um, are you you're using pretty much the same principles when you hire people internally as externally? Correct. Um, explain what you mean. Oh, I mean internal for us and external for our client. Yeah. 
Well, that's it. No, I wish I could tell you that we were. I wish that I could tell you every client that we work with subscribes to the philosophy of hire slow, fire fast, but they don't. Okay, well, let, then let's, reality. Explore, let's explore that. So um, obviously people that are gonna be listening to this are CEOs, entrepreneurs, big leaders in the corporation, right? Mm-hmm. So you are, I mean, your organization is based upon helping people in multiple ways as we talked about with HR. And you're like, there's a lot of folks that don't really, your clients may not listen to you the way that you think they should, right? That's a nice so, way to say it, sure. Yeah, so, so what do you, well, what do you've seen some of the mistakes that they've made then, right? Because you have a process, just like we have a process in Hire My VA, right? About how mm-hmm. to hire people. And we have it there for a reason because it's proven. We've taken multiple people through it. They're successful. And in the same thing with you. So why do you think some of your clients don't, um, follow what you want to do? Well, I think the hiring process is different for different people, right? Um, Larry, you mentioned customer service and that social interview. And I will tell you strangely the some of the best HR people come out of being in a customer service role. We can train them the skills, but if you've got exceptional customer service, I, I, I can't teach that. That's inter- who you are. And so when we're screening people, when we're looking for external placements, the things that we're looking for is, are they respectful? Are they going to work at a pace that is acceptable for your industry? Are they going to be accommodating? Are they going to be objective in the decision making that they, you know, that responsibility that they might have? When you have externally a client that says, I need somebody today because I've got to fill this position. Everything else is, I just need, it's blinders, right? It's, I need a body in the seat today. And so as much as we want to step back and say, hey, slow this down, make sure that the person completes the full four-page application. If nothing else, complete the application because you can fact check that against what they're telling you in, the, in their history or what's on their resume but it also has a release form and that allows you to do some further checking if you want to, just to validate the story. Because if you hire slow and make good decisions, you will spend far less money than if you're, oh my gosh, they didn't work out because I didn't realize that they didn't really have a high school diploma. They lied about that. Mm-hmm. And now we have to release them. And now I'm going to spend six to $8,000 finding another person, right? And so you don't have to necessarily follow every single step that we do. We want our, we, we like to match our consultants and our advisors with our clients. So we're very particular about who we're looking for and what we're gonna hire, but at least do the minimum. Do the minimum of having them complete an application. Um, we often, um, we wait for that follow-up thank you note, which we prefer the handwritten note, which we never get anymore, right? You're going to get an email, but even if you, even if you receive the email, immediately follow back up with two or three questions that you purposely left out of the interview. And why might you do that? Because then you have a writing sample. Writing sample will tell you whether or not there's opportunity for growth 
whether or not they can advance to another position. There's so many little things that you could do. Just, That's just a great tidbit. You know. Yeah, that makes. I like that, that little tidbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Leanne, we are recording this thing like late summer, early autumn, 2021, and um, you know there are a lot of people that are talking about this uh, employment crisis that we're experiencing here in the U.S. And, um, you know, we've seen some surveys that have shown that uh, 51% of the workforce are actually considering resigning from their current position in the next six months. Are you seeing the same thing with what you're in the, in the space that you're in? And if so, what's the challenge that's, going, that's being presented or the opportunity that's being presented uh, right now when it comes to building teams? Well, there's a lot of challenges and a lot of opportunities. Um, mm -hmm. And yes, we're seeing similar results. They might not be as high as the 51%, but but they're still high enough to make an impact, high enough that um, employers really need to be paying attention to what their workforce looks like, what makeup is, what the responsibilities are, um, what, what might that look like six months from now. And um, I, I think the biggest issue is figuring out, much like with the higher VA program, how much of this can be remote? How much of this can be done from home? How much can be done on an off schedule? How can I accommodate the available workforce, right? Because there's, there's people that, that are available and there's a much larger pool of people that, yeah, they, they say that they're available, but they're really not wanting to work. So there's, you know, there's an interested subset somewhere in there of mm -hmm. who want to go back to work. Um, the changes with um, unemployment um, are going to really impact what we see over the next probably 30, 60, 90 days in terms of pool of talent. Uh, so there's a lot of different factors that are going into how to find talent how to hire that talent, and how to retain the talent you already have. Um, that is almost a bigger issue right now with the people resigning their position saying, you know what, I don't want to come to the office anymore. I mean, I've had people actually tell me straight up, I, I want to work from home on my couch in my pajamas. Well, there are jobs that may allow you to do that, but your current position, that's not what this is. And so we can either help you transition to a position that would allow you to work from home on the couch in your pajamas, or maybe we can talk about some real alternatives when you're currently employed and what that might look like. Maybe it's not a full hybrid or a full remote position. Maybe it is a hybrid model of some sort, you know, two days a week, three days a week, um, off hours, you know, maybe you have the three day weekends and it's a Monday through Thursday. I, you know, the, the options right now are limitless, but I would say employers be willing to have those conversations. Yes. If you're closing your door right now, and this is a whole nother issue, if employers are closing their doors and closing their ears and not being open to conversation, you may as well just, just have the line out the door, right? Because that's what's happening. You've got to be willing to engage. You've got to be willing to have what really aren't confrontational conversations, they're discussions. That's right. They're points of yeah. interest. They're, they're, you know, if you truly want your people to be successful and you're genuinely care for another human being, listen, it doesn't mean yes. It doesn't mean no. It just means listen, try to 
come up with some kind of compromise or you know cooperative so solution that works for both of you because there really are no I hate to say it, there are no rules right now in a compliance based society there really are no rules yeah be, be respectful I, absolutely and I want to just put a exclamation point and underline and circle in red this conversation right now I think if you're uh, uh, an entrepreneur or a business owner or a leader in an organization, we have to rethink the culture uh, within which we are working right now. If you have an opportunity, let me back up, potential team members are looking for more flexibility now than ever. Every survey that's been done in the last 18 months has been showing this is one of the things that's leading up to this uh, resignation. What are they calling it, Dave? The Great um, Resignation. Yeah. yeah, The Great Resignation is yeah. kind of this era that uh, I think it was Inc. Magazine did a story uh, on, on this recently. And um, so potential team members, employees, whatever you want to call them, are looking for more flexibility. So I get that there are some industries, like if you weren't running a machine shop and somebody has to be on a lathe, yes, they have to be there in person. If you're running a restaurant, yes, your cook cannot work remotely. Okay. Are there days that the, the chef could work remotely to do inventory control? I don't, I don't know, but we have to start thinking about mm -hmm. this. Certainly more things can be done remotely than we used to think. Okay. Okay. Because there are people that are willing to walk away from a gig nowadays than, than ever before. And which brings up this, um, the, the survey that I, or the, the report I referred to earlier is the predictive index, the people management mm -hmm. report. You probably see this, Leanne, in, in your industry. But the survey shows that the number one challenge that employees, and this is what they call them, we call them team members, employees have with their bosses and their managers, the number one challenge, communication. Right. And so working remotely is going to mean we have to do even better communicating with our team than when they're in our in our space. So that's an additional challenge. I'm sure you must face with your clients. I'm, I'm just imagining you must. Right. You know, it, it's interesting. There's um, typically in the fall is when we see a couple of trends. Right. We see okay. um, a lot of handbooks, employee handbooks get changed because oh. They're massaging them. They're making them pretty and being unique for a one-one implementation. Uh -huh. um, and we see uh, hiring go up a little bit in the fall, and then we see it really pick up for Christmas and then drop drastically in the month of December. <laughs> uh -huh. They're waiting for January and uh -huh. to see budgets, right? Budget formation is what's happening yeah. right now. And so we're we're watching these um, these cycles go through and trying to figure out. Um, we write a lot of policy right now that says we have open door and we're open to communication. We want to hear your suggestions. And yeah, okay, physical observance. If I go to your office and your door is actually physically closed, that doesn't sound like <laughs> open door. And if you tell the employees they need to use Slack or be on Microsoft Teams and you never actually log on or you intentionally log off during the day, I'm not feeling like that's open communication. So word-wise, if you're, if you're mm -hmm. actually asking or soliciting or requesting you know you want to hear feedback or address employee concerns you've got to make yourself available and so that increased communication it's still a two-way street you know yeah for sure leaders managers you have to be available to participate yeah leanne that's that's a good point and and i i want the you know listeners to say 
or to say to them that, well, they may be thinking to themselves, oh my gosh, um, I have to have my door open. I got to be on Slack and all that stuff, right? It's not an all or nothing, right? It's like right. establish some hours that everybody knows where your door is open and then establish some time when you're going to be in, in Slack. Maybe you say, hey guys, I've got to concentrate and you just tell them why, right? I've got to concentrate on running the business and all these different things, but then I'm available, you know, every afternoon from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. or whatever that is, right? Yeah. And, and I think as long as you as the CEO or the leader um, establish those boundaries and communicate them and explain why, everybody's cool with that, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to have an open door policy 24-7. <laughs> right? That's right. No, no, but it should that, be open absolutely. sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I like the idea. Listen, I'll give credit where credit is due. Uh, the first director of sales I'd ever hired in my current hotel company, this guy named Jeff Roberts, and he was a rock star in so many things. And one of them was he understood this. He understood that part of his role as a director of sales was to be training other salespeople, right? Um, to be taking calls from the operations team, right? Just to be available to meet and walk through things. But he couldn't, you can't do that nine hours a day, five days a week. So he knew that there were some days he was going to have to close his door. And he knew this barrier, this mentality, this barrier you're talking about, Leanne. And so he would put a sign on his door that said, hour of power. Yeah. which meant that he had his nose down and he was dialing for dollars or he was doing something that he couldn't be interrupted for that one hour. And he would stick to that one hour and then he'd open the door, which meant I'm available, come in, whatever you want. But then when the door closed again, you know, it's not like five minutes, you know, it was open and closed. You understand what I'm saying though, team? Mm-hmm. It's that, tell me how long am I not going to be able to, should I stand outside your door for <laughs> four hours? But I, I think we get the point here, uh, everyone. Be available. Right. right. Not just to pontificate, but to listen. Take feedback uh, as well. So that's, that's really good. Yeah. And, and Leanne, you, maybe you can comment on this as well. Is, is, I mean, if you are going to be taking feedback, right? Don't just say you're open. But if you're going to be taking feedback, you need to act on it, right? With people, I mean, how much are you seeing that with people saying, okay, I'm going to have an open door policy, but then, you know, they're working on something and then they look up and the guy comes in. All right. You know, they're, they're talking and saying something and then nothing ever happens with uh, maybe something that the employer team member came in and wanted them to talk about, right. To address. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I think this idea of listening um, is is but one element, right? There's the the action, right? Rapid action, Larry. Does that yep. ring a bell with you? Familiar, I'm not necessarily, yeah. <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying rapid action when you're listening for concerns and issues because you need time to process. But from the perspective of being open to the ideas, write it down. I think of it in terms of like if you're soliciting um, any small business that's trying to do uh, an RFP or an RFQ, right? You're responding to someone. I always tell you, you want to make sure you follow the two R's. You want to be responsive and you want to be responsible, right? Mm-hmm. Feedback from your employees, those conversations are the same thing. Be responsive and be responsible. So it's not, hey, come tell me your issues during my open office hours. And three weeks later, I might follow up with you. Have a plan to say, you know, I don't have the answer today. I need a day or two to think about this. You circle back with me. I'll circle back with you. We'll put something on the calendar in in 10 days. 
but put a timeline to it and have your have your smart goal, right? You can smart goal your way through a feedback conversation to say, how can I, how can I listen to you, make sure that you're heard, make sure that you understand that I'm busy, but I'm working on it. And I'm still going to follow up and I'm going to see this through because you may not be able to say yes. And the answer may be no, not now. Um, but people respect that. They respect the fact that you're at least honest and you're, you know, you're, you're timely in what you're telling them. Yeah. Cause that's what leads to the big word here is trust, right? People want to be able to trust their manager, leader, business owner, whatever it is, and, and whoever you are in the organization. And if you leave people hanging, it leads to distrust. I remember in my former company, the first time we ever did, we started doing 360 reviews where we started implementing confidential work climate surveys. And um, um, we got all the feedback and there was not some great, there was some pretty awesome, but ugly feedback in there about you know my performance, about my partner's performance, about the way we communicated or didn't communicate with, with, with people. Um, but I knew, I knew, like I knew, like I knew from my time in the military, that when you leave people in the dark, when you ask for feedback and they give it to you and then you do nothing with it, they never give you real feedback in the future. That's right. Right? Close down. What's that? They close, close down. down. <clears throat> yeah. And so, um, Leanne, I'm really, I really appreciate that you brought this topic up. It's so important. I would just want to make sure that people get this. Use a yellow highlighter in your brain that this is one of those topics that if you ask for feedback or somebody comes to you and gives you feedback and you don't close that loop, you're fostering a uh, culture of distrust. And no organization grows for very long when there's distrust in the organization. It just doesn't happen. And Leanne, you, you said something I thought was really interesting. Put a SMART goal around a feedback conversation. So can we role play really quick? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I want you to create a smart goal for some feedback. Or we can work through it together. So say I'm a team member and I come to you and I say, you know, um, I really have a concern, Leanne, Leanne about, you know, the, the water in the area. And, and, and I, you know, drinking out of a fountain is, is okay, but I think it'd be better if we had bottled water coming in, right? So how would you create, okay, well, right. I can deal with this. All right. Well, give me a smart goal around something like that. How would you as a leader address that? Not specifically, but how would you create a smart goal around it? Cause I really um, like that potential tool to do this. Yeah. So smart goal, real story. Um, we don't have great water in the building. So two options were, well, actually listening to the employees, they wanted bottled water and I said, Ooh, bottled water that's lugging the cases in, that's paying somebody kind of thinking through specifically, what do they want? They want fresh, clean water, right? And so when can I do that? Um, how can I do that? Um, how quickly can I get that done? And so we talked through different options of what would be alternatives to having bottled water. Well, filtered water, filtered water is an option. Um, the having um, a filtrated system of water come in. So you have a supply where it's five gallons instead of individual bottles, you're not recycling plastic, you're using a, a regular glass and cup, right? So we actually went through that whole scenario um, and decided to buy 
real dishes, real silverware for the office. So helping the environment, we bought a, um, a chill dispenser. So we have hot room temperature and cold water. And then we refill our stock once every two months. And we did that within three or four days. Mm-hmm. Really important. And it's been one of the big things in our office, like for the coffee, for the tea, for just plain water. People really, that was important to them. So it was actually a really good, uh, good to get non-bottled water in our office. Okay, so you could create a smart goal around that, making it specific and measurable. Yep. Like, hey, I want to have this. I want to get the measurable part. Might be I want to have the the team member satisfied, right, or something like that. Sure. So it's A is for you know attainable or mm-hmm. realistic. You know, it's like, hey, we've got make it realistic. We've got X amount of budget to do this, right? And then timely, we want to have this addressed by you know in a week from now or a month from now or something like right. that. Right. Right. Yep. Put it on your calendar, like you said. Okay. That's cool. Helian, rapid action. That's right. <laughs> Helian, we're we're all not all, most people that are listening to this or watching this have got clients, right? Either it's business to business like you are, or it's business to consumer, but we've got clients um, that, that we have to serve. In a business to business environment, there's gotta be some of your clients that you adore. And some, not so much, right? And so what I try to do is when I look, okay, what are the clients that I adore? What are they doing? And let me be more like them. And the clients that I don't so much adore or despise, don't do what they're doing. You tracking with me on this? I am. What are some of those? So what are those traits that you adore in clients and what are those traits and clients that you don't necessarily do, uh, adore, or maybe even despise, so that our listeners can be more like the former and less like the latter? You know, I think our ideal client has evolved over time, right? When you're first starting as an entrepreneur, any client is a good client. And then you realize you need to rewind that. <laughs> That's right. Because yeah. not, not every client is a good client. Uh, let's, let's stay on that thread for one second. Why is that? Explain that to somebody. Because I do know, Perth, I know specifically, there are a couple of people, this is their first business, you know, and they've only had the business going for a few months. And they do think anyone who can pay me is the best client. Why is that not the case? I think anybody that can pay you maybe checks a box. Um, but do they have a reputation for delivery within their own industry? Are they good stewards for the community? Those are things that are important to us. I want to know that they treat their own people well. If, if you're going to ask me to work with in my industry, you're going to ask me to work with your people, but you don't treat people well, that is a disconnect from the word go. And it really doesn't matter how much you're going to pay me. I'm, I'm, we're, not, we're not ever going to be aligned. Um, I think with with. COVID, it's really added another layer of make sure that you have, you're working with the right people. You want to um, ensure that clients are respectful of you and your processes and what you're bringing to the table. They, they contacted you for a reason. Um, maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. Maybe they're in trouble. Maybe they just want to grow. Regardless of the reason, make sure that you're, you're really aligned with where they're trying to go to or where they're trying to get to because that will... That just creates um, 
unmanageable chaos at times. Um, The other thing is making sure, I think for us, understanding the expectations. And if that means I have to ask the same question 12 times, I'm going to change one or two words to see if I can, you know, pick up the nuance because Dave knows words have meaning, right? I want to make sure that I understand exactly what the scope is, exactly what the deliverable is, so that I'm providing the best service possible. If a client can't articulate that to me, I'm already behind the eight ball before I ever start day one. Yeah, well, the way I put it when we're talking about this kind of thing is that when you're building a relationship with a client, there's got to be negotiables and non-negotiables. Mm-hmm. Non-negotiables have to do with your core values, right? Um, now, because there are times when the economy tanks or whatever, I may take clients during that time that I wouldn't take when it's when it's booming, right? But you have to understand the negotiable and non-negotiables. And if you if you say that every client who can pay me is a good client, well, you may realize that you're managing an awful person who you don't share the same core values with, and it's just a thorn in your side. You can't sleep at night. Um, and you realize you're managing the relationship rather than managing the business mm. and you can't take on more clients yeah. because That's right. of it. So we have to be disciplined in that, but let's go back to what the, the original question was. What are those characteristics of clients that you really adore and love doing business with versus those that you, you know, yeah, I'd rather not work with those clients again. The clients that we adore, um, they, they communicate with us. Mm-hmm. They're, um, they're reasonable. And I, reasonable is kind of a, a strange word um, in the business sense in that um, we're, we're counselors of sorts, right? We're advice givers, we're guidance, we're going to help you policy. But my first question to clients when they call us, what do you want to have happen? Tell me what you want to have happen. Let me figure out how to get you there because I can you know, we can walk a really straight line or we can walk a wiggly path. Uh, there's a lot of gray in what we do, but if I know the end game, I can help facilitate that. So I want clients that are reasonable <laughs> and yeah. they want to get to because sometimes mm-hmm. we get there. And and we've, you know, we've had clients where we just were not a good fit um, and we let them know, but we want to have those conversations up front. So clients are willing to communicate and articulate those expectations, those are the ones that we really, we really like them. We may not understand what they do at all. Most of our clients we do know, but generally, yeah. you know, a new client coming to us, we want to learn about their business. We want them to be as engaged with us as we want to be engaged with them. Hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. And those Wait. that don't work, get specific. Yeah. You want me to talk? <laughs> yeah, like it's like I they're do? a jerk. <laughs> They're disrespectful. Oh, yeah. Um, anything like that? So I have um I have this general rule. I'm I'm I publish my phone number 365, 24-7-365 for our CEO clients. So I'm on the hook and people call me. If you are going to abuse that privilege of calling me at 11 o'clock at night for a non-emergent non-CEO type issue, um, you're going to find yourself moving down in that respect level pretty quickly. Um, That's not a a deal breaker. We're not going to, 
necessarily release a client for that, but it's certainly to just the consideration factor um, weighs heavily on me that health and wellness, um, a balanced life is important to us. It's important to my team and we let clients know that. And so I understand emergencies happen, but not everything is is an emergency um, and trying to understand that difference. And so we've, you know, I've probably released half a dozen clients in 14 years, Mm -hmm. some for compliance, some for, we are just not a good fit. We're not going to, we're not going to mesh. Let me give you some alternative firms that you can call. Here are their phone numbers. I like that. We've released a half a dozen clients. We said we set them free. Those are nice words. Fire down. Terminate. I like those better. Those are, those are tough. That's those are tough conversations to have. They're they're as uncomfortable as you know terminating an employee at times when you have a relationship with a client and you just realize they're not growing anymore. If if I am doing my job as a CEO and as a service you know, delivery organization, I should be working myself out of a job every two years. Yeah, I, I suppose you're right on that part. But the earlier part you said where those conversations are tough, I found conversations of ter- terminating relationships with clients and team members very difficult in my early years. I don't anymore. Well, why is that, Larry? Well, because, you know, people, if they don't know what your expectations are, certainly they're not going to meet them and it's harder to set someone free. However, if I've done my job as the leader and the team and my other leaders in the organization have done a good job of communicating our expectations and then following up and doing the proper coaching, counseling, coaching them up. And if not, then we have to coach them out. It's never a surprise. It is never a surprise in our organization if if we're parting ways with someone. Even if it's like we're firing you on the spot, they knew you don't steal. You don't punch another team member. You don't choke a guest, right? We're firing you immediately for that. But if it's a performance-based thing, there's been enough progressive, what we call, um, you know, technically it's progressive discipline, right? But really Mm -hmm. it's coaching, right? If we give people enough coaching, we've had the courageous conversations with someone say, hey, Dave, it would be silly for you to lose your job over this, let's come up with an action plan over the next 90 days to get you there, right? And I would just encourage people, if you have these difficult, quote unquote, conversations with team members, it makes your life easier. And the team member knows where they stand. Mm. Going back to this predictive index survey um, that I talked about earlier, and you can go, you can look, you you can do an internet search for this, it's predictive index people management report. They talk about this, that one of the problems that team members have is they don't know where they stand with their boss or their leader or their supervisor because they're not being communicated to, all right? I mean, put yourself in your in your shoes, in their shoes. Have you ever had a boss where you had no idea where you stood? One day you felt like you were on their team and the next day you felt like you were on the outs. That's no place to be, right? You know, so sorry about the pontification there, but I think it's an important point we need to make. Hey, Leanne, if you had a chance to go and start over, you know, to start with your business over with the experience you have now, not starting your business as, you know, with the same newbie approach, but you had a chance to start over, would you do anything differently? Uh, a couple of things. And, and at, um, truth be told, I'm like soft launching right here, right now. Um, okay. I started um, helping start another business. Um, 
a product, not a service. So I am going out on a whole new venue and trying to apply my lessons of the 14 years to goods now, a goods and product business. Um, I, I think the one thing that I, I'm almost positive, 99% that I did right um, was that first year that I was in business, I really tried to study the industry. What, um, what was right, what was wrong. I built a business plan. I did, you know, I created budgets. I had growth opportunities. I invested in client relationships. So I spent a year sort of academically learning how to run a business. Mm-hmm. I got a little muddy in uh, year two, trying to perfect um, attorneys and CPAs and um, social media and some of the, the the stuff that you need to do when you're running a business. But it's like, I, I don't know any of those people. I have to learn. And so there's lessons that you learn the hard way. And so sort mm-hmm. of getting some of those people out front to help you on day one or two, rather than finding them a year or a year and a half into it when it's a little bit later in the process and maybe not nearly as cost efficient. Mm -hmm. Um, So just trying to focus on knowing that you're building a business and it's, it's not the immediate uh, tomorrow expectation. This is, this is a journey. Give yourself some grace, um, ask for help, right? Find the right resources, spend that time up front really saves you in the long run, figuring out, learn by other people's mistakes. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Hey, Leanne, you, know, you told us kind of at the beginning that your team is all in person right now, right? And then I know as part of the victory program you were on, we gave you access to the Hire My VA, you know, sub training. It's a, it's a, a course on its own, right? The course in community. Um, and I know you went through it because we talked a little bit about that on our co-working sessions, right? Mm-hmm. You said you went through it and you really liked it. Um, so maybe talk to us a little bit about a, maybe a couple of things you learned there. And then we want to talk about on what do you think that you need to do to um, potentially get a virtual assistant or to move to where you can work with people um, that are virtual on your team? Yeah, the, um, the program was fantastic. Uh, I learned I learned that I was doing some things right. So there was some <laughs> there was a lot of moments of oh my gosh I got that right um so there was there was certain gratification in that um but I think some of the more meaningful exercises for me coming out of that program and coming out of the victory program were really knowing my knowing my personal sweet spot knowing what I love what I'm good at what's my best value for the business so I can, I'm an exceptional recruiter. I can recruit anybody to fill any position, but it's not a good use of my time. I'm just wired to make good connections, um, but that's not where I bring the best value. So I have to hire people to do those roles, right? So figuring out um, how do I play the best? How do I become the best version of me for the organization? Uh, I think there were a lot of exercises in the Hire My VA program that walked me through being able to do that. So maybe the end result wasn't hiring this virtual assistant. It was really even more self-awareness of, oh, mm, well, I did some things really well. Shoot, 
I missed the boat completely on this other thing. Um, and one of the things that I really, you know, needed to think about was if I could, if I could hire um, a virtual assistant, what could they do for me um, in this environment where we're still protecting our clients' information? Um, confidentiality is a huge piece of what we do. Uh, and so protecting that is kind of on the top of mind. So figuring out those things that um, that I can pass along or move off. And so there, you know, there's an element of almost a pro-con list of what can we move, what can't we move, and creating what does that workflow look like and how much does that, how much of that can really be supported um, outside of the organization? Is it 20 hours a week? Is it 40 hours a week? I know, I know that I'm pushing an excessive amount of hours through my calendar and through my timesheet. Um, and not all of it is my best time. Um, so just having that opportunity to figure it out. Are we closer? Yeah, we're a lot closer to knowing what the assignments are. Are we closer to finding the right person? I wish we were closer. I wish we were closer to figuring out what's the best way to source um, a virtual person. We've we've had people that, that are interested in virtual work here in the U.S., um, here within our local community. Uh, but when it comes right down to it, it's like, listen, we, we're going to have to have some um, uh, mandatory check-ins, right? I, I want to make sure that we're on the same page, that we're aligning expectations. And it's like, oh, well, you're not just going to give me a project and let me go. No, no, we're, we're not going to work like that. Um, <laughs> so, so those conversations haven't quite um, elevated or escalated to where they need to. So thoughts or advice that you want to offer to me, I am all ears at the moment because I need the help. <laughs> well, we can, we can talk about a few of those things. Um, and we have in our community, um, somebody who has an accounting business, Joe Dechara, mm -hmm. and he's using, you know, you can imagine doing taxes and all that, how confidential that is. And he's got folks from the Philippines on his team. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, but we found out that, I mean, that was like a big question is the security and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we did a lot of research into it and we actually have a, um, I don't know how long, half an hour, or an hour where one of my team, one of our team members, Brian Valentino and I, we talk about some of these secure issues and what you can do to make things, um, you know, virtually very, very secure. Um, so you still have access. You should go listen to that. Okay. I will. <laughs> right? That'll help. Um, but yeah, I think one of the things that, that Larry talked about earlier is when you're going, um, and we talked about the openness, but when you're going virtually, yeah, the, the lines of communication, you've got to really be over the top and you've got to have the regular check-ins because it is different. You can't like right now, you can just walk by and knock on some of these doors and see how they're doing. Right. It's it. You can do that virtually by, you know, chatting and, Hey, let's get on a zoom call. So you can kind of do that, but you have to be a lot more aggressive in doing it and establishing, you know, regular, a lot uh, regular communications. And of course, having like Larry talked about expectations, um, to do's what's required and that kind of thing. Eliane, as we begin to wrap up here, um, one of my favorite thoughts is that we learn more from our failures and our defeats than we do from our victories and our successes, right? 
Um, and you've worked with, again, you know, lots and lots of business owners and your own experience. What's the biggest mistake or not the biggest, what's a couple of the most significant mistakes that people make when they're trying to build their teams? Um, big mistakes. Um, I think um, denial might be a mistake. Denial in you promote something. They've been with the organization for 10 years. They're ready to be promoted, ready to be promoted. And so yeah. the person moves into the role and it's a disaster. And no, they've been here 10 years and they're making all these cases for why this person is exactly the right person. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, what did you do to train them? What did you do to prepare them for this new role, this new leadership, this, you know, did you, did you guide them and mentor them? Or did you just say you are duly anointed and now you're a supervisor? Hmm. Like I look at that in terms of denial, right? Yeah. Right. You should be in, in building your team, you should truly be building your team every single day. Every day should be um, an adventure. Every day should be a challenge. Uh, we have we have some new projects that came in, two or three of them. No one on the team has the skill set but me. Okay, that's problematic um, because, quite honestly, they're all due in the next 60 days and my calendar is already full. And so I sent out right, wrong, or indifferent, I sent out a group chat this morning and said, hey, this is the project. These are the projects. Anybody interested in building this skill set, we're going to start ground zero. We'll start with some reading assignments, and we're moving from there. And it was kind of a first come, first serve. But the people that jumped on it said, I want to learn that. And I thought, oh, now I got takers, right? Yeah. I have the ability to now train new skill, new set, get something else off my plate, right? There's, this is like win, but it's it's that idea that I'm going to go into every single day. When I walk in the door, I got to train somebody on something. They, they're, right? they have to get a new groove in their brain, right? Every time you learn something, your yeah. changes. I That's my goal is to make sure that somebody's learning something every single day. Yeah. So denial is a, a big mistake that a lot of people have. What else? Um, or not have mistake they, they've made not building a team not listening maybe not listening to their own team their own internal advisors and maybe sometimes it's not having that you know the Larry and the Daves of the mm -hmm. right not having that external um, mentor coach board to say advisor. hey I don't I don't know the answer I don't have all the answers and be willing to say I, I need some help, right? There's elements of that that we see um, where people get stuck, right? Everybody gets stuck now and again, and sometimes you just need to take a break, walk away, noodle it in a different way, pose the question to somebody that has no stake in the ground at all in your business or what you say or what you do, and let them, right, word vomit on you, and something will something will trigger and you'll figure out like, oh, why did I not think of that? Well, that wasn't my job to think of that. It was asking yeah. and figuring out that there's, there's always other resources out there. Yeah. 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 Well, I thought you were going to ask me my mistakes, honestly, but 
Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that it was in there some, some somewhere, right? Well, tell me about what's what's like the most significant victory that you've had. What's something that you're really super proud of? It can be anything personal, professional, since you've had your um, in the last 14 years, let's say, since you've had your business. And the reason I say this, you know, personal, professional, because I think a lot of people realize or should realize at this point that entrepreneurship is not a, hey, I'm going to do this nine to five thing. It impacts every area of your life. And um, a, a personal victory oftentimes impacts our professional lives and vice versa, right? So yeah. what's been something that's like, oh my gosh, had I not been doing this, let me give you a quick example. I went through my divorce 10 years ago. Had I not been a business owner and owned my own business, I wouldn't have been able to dedicate 40 hours a week for six months of trying to get quote unquote healthy and then 20 hours a week for the next six months to get healthy. I have a friend who talks about this all the time. who's a big marketing guru whose um, wife got breast cancer a lot of years ago. He would not have been able to take the time off to help his bride go through that process had he worked a nine to five with someone else. Is there a victory? Is there a celebration that you've been able to experience as a business owner? Had you not been able, had you, you know, had you been, not been a business owner, otherwise would have been a missed win in your life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it probably from like the personal angle yeah. sort of. Um, I'm, I'm pretty structured and pretty rigid at times. People call it passionate. I'm like, okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm passionate about what I think and what I believe. Um, had it not really been for the business, I don't think I would have had um, the opportunities to step back and do the self-awareness on me right? That internal growth and figuring out and like, how can I, I I want people to be successful no matter what they do, but I didn't apply it to myself. And so being, being able to do that, being able to, to, to take that moment and say, you know what, when COVID happened and the business was in shambles and we lost 66% of our revenue, I spent a year in, in class. I did the victory program. I did the hire my VA. I did the Oh, I did the IBM. I, I did just, I have been nonstop in school saying this is the time to take, to become better. Um, I think the business has helped me be a better version. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's my answer. Awesome. That's a okay. good answer. And you're sticking to it. I bet. Yeah. All right. Good. Well, um, we're going to close up here in a sec. Do you have any parting advice for business owners who are building a team, thinking about building a team? Um, you know, anything that you want to share with uh, our listeners re regarding that? I think just in building the team, um, it's kind of where we started, which is as business owners, as entrepreneurs, you're never going to not be busy ever, ever. There's always going to be 17 projects. There's always going to be 37. I don't even know how long my to-do list is. And I have to um, convey almost daily um, to the team in my way of communicating. I'm always going to be busy, but I always have time for you. I don't want to be an obstacle. I want to be a resource. And so 
doesn't matter if the phone is ringing, I'm, although I'm on a podcast, but I've got 20 things lined up. If I'm stopping you from being productive, if I'm stopping you from moving to the next level, if I'm stopping you from having a, you know, an aha moment, please stop. You don't have to knock on the door. Just walk right in. Don't be afraid. I'm always going to be busy, but I'm not too busy for you. All right. Very good. Well, as we end, let me uh, give you an opportunity to give yourself a plug and how people can get a hold of you if they wanted to take advantage of your services or just to talk to you, et cetera. What's the best way? Well, best way is to probably just find me on our website, uh, seekinghr.com. My last name is King, K-I-N-G. So seeking, S-E-E-K-I-N-G-H-R.com. Uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm always um, open to new connections. And if you just let me know that you found me or heard me or saw me on the podcast um, with Larry and Dave, that's a good enough connection for me. And so we can, can chat there if you like. Um, otherwise, I, I do have this policy. I don't tell a lot of people. I do have a policy. Um, I have a, a, window sh- a, a window shield policy or windshield policy. Uh, essentially, if you catch me while I'm driving, it's free. <laughs> catch me while I'm driving, it's free. If you catch me while I'm driving, it's free. So if you know my travel schedule, which some clients do, um, they will specifically call me while I'm driving because I'm trapped in a car anyway. So I'm either listening to a podcast or I'm talking to somebody. So if I'm if you catch your time, then it's yeah. free. interesting. I, I, I like that. That's a that's something may adopt. Who knows? It's good business <laughs> development. It is. It is. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Leanne, for your time and for being on with us, Larry. Um, thanks. Any parting words? Yeah, I guess I would just say this, that um, Dave and I were immediately tra- attracted to Leanne for a bunch of reasons. Obviously, she's smart and savvy and willing to share like she did today. But, you know, one of the things I think that she kind of exudes is um, is what I think is at the core of leadership, and that is service and love. Mm-hmm. And yeah. leading people requires loving people. And if you haven't picked up on that from Leanne, I hope that you do maybe say, oh, that's what it is, right? Love your team, love what you're doing, and you will become attractive. And people will want to come work for you. We can mm-hmm. tweak all the nuts and bolts and the, you know, pull the wires tighter and you know, straighten up the scaffolding a little bit through the services, the resources, and tools we give you. But it's going to start from your core. It's going to start from your heart. It's going to start from your attitude. Okay. And as I like to say, oftentimes, it's a good attitude won't guarantee victory, but a bad one will guarantee defeat. Right. That's right. So that's, that would be my parting words, Dave. How about okay. you as we start to wrap this up? Um, yeah. My parting words is, uh, you know, I love the advice of Leanne and, you know, take every opportunity that you have to uh, learn to grow, to change who you are, to become a better person that you, than you are, and to be able to step into your, you know, your greatness, take every opportunity to do that, even in the downtimes, especially in the downtimes. All right. Thanks for joining us today and entering our conversation with Leanne. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome person. Um, Great value. Folks, I recommend you listen to this a couple of times to really get all of the value that um, she's delivered. And one of the things that she talked about is building a team. And that's Mm -hmm. how we want to help you guys. 
So building a team is the way to reclaim your freedom and we're here to help you. Okay. So three things we'd love for you to do and we'd really appreciate it. Number one, subscribe to this podcast. If you haven't already done so subscribe to our YouTube channel, just hit the button and the little, um, the little dingy thingy. So you can get notified of it. <laughs> Give us about. a rating also, <laughs> preferably five star. Um, and then number three is go to hiremyva.com for more information on our course and community and our newly launched white glove service, where we help find a rock star VA for you. But remember, even without experience, you'll learn how to prepare for, hire, and thrive with virtual assistants. Not just virtual assistants, but your team as it is right now. Larry and I have helped a lot of folks. We'd love to help you too. So just go to hiremyva.com for more information. Hey, folks, uh, you know how we usually sign off here. Um, I'm just going to remind you, I'm going to put an exclamation point on this. Do yourself a favor. Do the world a favor. Go do something absolutely significant today. Success will be the byproduct of that life of significance. All right. God bless you. God keep you. God hold you. All right, my friends, go get them. We'll see you later. Bye, everybody.